0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Wendy. And I'm Jess, and you're listening to the Food Heaven podcast.
2: Your online resource for inclusive and accessible wellness.
1: Okay, if you're like us... You've had bloating at some point in your life or yesterday or today <laughs> right, or the last five minutes <laughs> or literally right now. So this episode is for you. And we are going to get into all of the science, the nitty gritty, while also having fun keying with our guests today. Now, who are we interviewing? You might wonder. We are talking to a nationally recognized gastroenterology expert. Her name is Tamara. (laughs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) It's been a long day. It has. (laughs) Tamara Duker-Fruman, who is a dietitian and also has a clinical practice in New York City where she specializes in GI disorders and how to help those through diet.
2: Yes, it was such a great conversation because so many of you have submitted questions about bloating. So we're like, okay, we need to do an episode on this. So we talk about what bloating is, some of the causes. How do you know if it's irritable bowel syndrome versus bloating? Also, treatment approaches that you can do at home and maybe under medical guidance as well. We talk about medications, prebiotics, probiotics, all of the things. So make sure that you tune in until the very, very end. And before we hop in, we're going to highlight a listener review. And this is from Shep Manshii. Thank you for the inclusive and informative content you both create. You're both so welcoming and kind in the way you speak to your listeners and address the challenges within our profession. I learned so much from listening to the podcast. You provide me with new resources for patients, and I am making changes within how I work with patients from the knowledge you impart through your sharing and guest speakers. Your podcast is a reference I regularly give to patients. Thank you for the work you do with compassion and shared experience. Loyal listener. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. So sweet. So sweet. We really appreciate y'all for taking the time to leave us some reviews. And if you haven't already, make sure you go to iTunes and you drop some stars, you leave some words. We love reading your reviews. And with that, we're going to hop in. This is going to be a good one. yeah. Because literally... Everyone asks us about bloating. I think it's because most of our audience is women and they're always like, oh my God, I'm bloated. What do I do about my bloat? My bloat, my stomach is sticking out, my bloat. (laughs) And I'm just like, I, I think it's one of our most commonly asked questions. And to a certain degree, Bloating is normal, I think, but that's why I'm happy to have you on because I want to start off by just kind of talking about what is bloating and what is the difference between normal bloat and bloat that you should be concerned about?
0: These are all great questions. This is going to be like a 20 minute answer. Okay. So, I mean, the first thing that when someone comes to me or you saying like, I'm bloated, I really need them to explain what that means to them. Right. And so I need to know when you say bloated, do you mean that you are visibly distended? Like, you know, your waist, your belly looks like flat or flatter. And then you eat something or a certain time of day happens and it's like, like distended to the point where like your pants don't fit you. You're unbuttoning your pants. Like you, people will give you their seat on the subway because they think you're pregnant. Like, is it like a visible distension? Is your bloating more of a subjective? So it's like a feeling of fullness and discomfort, but you're not necessarily visibly distended. Then there's kind of like, the the bloating that is kind of getting conflated with belly fat right and so you know sometimes you'll have like middle-aged patients like who are gaining weight or you know as our bodies change like in perimenopause and postmenopause the way that our body composition changes and the places that our body stores fat is in the midsection and some people kind of conflate that with bloating when really what they're saying is i've gained weight in my belly and i don't like how my belly looks And then I think there's a fourth category, which is Instagram bloating, which is extremely thin fit people who eat, you know, a bite of food and are surprised when their super flat, you know, starved belly (laughs) is like slightly more distended because they put something in the abdominal cavity and then they post a picture of a before and after and they're like, I'm so bloated when really most people looking at that would say, I can't even tell the difference between your before and after like if your belly is empty or if you've eaten a meal, it's not going to look the same. That is not abnormal. Your abdominal cavity is kind of like a stretchy box, (laughs) right? Like you fill it with things and it will stretch a little bit to accommodate those things. You know, it shouldn't stretch like an enormous amount. You probably shouldn't look like completely flat and then completely nine months pregnant after a medium-sized meal, but it's not like you should expect to look exactly the same before and after a meal. And so I think that there is some sort of also expectations around, you know, that my belly needs to be as flat as when I wake up 24 hours a day that are probably unrealistic.
1: Yeah, that's helpful. And also breaking down that there are different types of concerns people have that are not all the same when people say bloating. So, okay. (laughs) Our next question, you already answered it. <laughs> does everyone experience bloating the same way or does it vary? So clearly everyone experiences it different. How do you know if it is too much? Because you said like, there should be some bloating, but then if you're feeling like, you know, you your pants don't fit anymore, you know, after every meal, then maybe it's something more going on.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm really interested in sort of associated symptoms, right? So if someone is saying like, I'm so bloated that like, I can't eat, like, like I'm hungry and weak from like low blood sugar, but like I feel so full I can't eat. Like that's a problem. If someone is nauseated because they're so like bloated and distended, like that's a problem. If you have to change your clothes partway through the day, because literally like your pants are cutting into you and like you can't breathe and like you're in pain, like that's a problem. And so, you know, I'm looking to really understand like in what way is the bloating impacting your ability to eat, your ability to make plans and live your life and not think about your stomach. So, you know, these are the types of questions that I'm asking.
2: Mm -hmm. And can we talk about how the menstrual cycle affects bloating? Because I think that also ties into, you know, bloating sometimes being normal, depending on what time of the month it is. So what's the association there?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. There is an association. I mean, I think for many, if not most women, there will be changes in their either bowel function or their abdominal appearance sort of premenstrually, right? Like as the uterus is sort of like, a you know, growing and swelling with blood and fluids, like you might, be more distended and bloated. And then sort of as, you know, sort of during the week of your period, after the first couple of days, you might find that that subsides a bit. But I think the elephant in the room is also endometriosis, right? Which I think is a very underdiagnosed, it's a difficult to diagnose condition that is also very cyclical along with your menstrual cycle. And it can cause extreme amounts of visible distension and feelings of discomfort and fullness and bloating. And it's very, it's hard to diagnose, you know, I mean, it's often diagnosed just through like an exploratory kind of surgery where they actually cut you open and look to see if there's endometrial tissue, which is why it is so underrecognized. because like, you know, that's a big commitment to undertake to get a diagnosis. And so I think a lot of women experience endometriosis and they are definitely going to see changes in their bloating that are very tied into their menstrual cycle.
1: How do you know if it's IBS? versus bloating. And can you explain for people who don't know what IBS is? Sure.
0: So IBS is irritable bowel syndrome, and it is a disorder of the gut-brain interaction. And what that means is that the communication channel between your brain, which is involved with sensory and motor function of your bowel, is misfiring, miscommunicating with your gut. And that can impact your sensory... Experience or how you experience the presence of gas, how you experience the presence of stool, how you experience the presence of fat, how you experience the presence of spicy things, anything that stimulates nerve endings in the intestine may be very exaggerated when you have IBS because the sensory component is like, ah, like super, like five alarm fire. And it also impacts motor function, right? Motility. So, how fast, how slow, whether patterns of motility are consistent and normal whether they kind of go in fits and starts, they kind of stop for a while and then all of a sudden like wake up and start spasming. And so just off kilter sensory and motor function. And I think a really like the key characteristic of IBS that differentiates it from other types of say constipation or diarrhea is pain. And so IBS involves pain. You could be super duper duper constipated. It doesn't mean you have IBS. But if you're constipated and the fact that you've skipped a bowel movement for one day makes you feel so uncomfortable that you barely can function, that's probably more likely an IBS. You know, like if I don't poop for a day, I don't even, I don't even think of it, I don't even realize it, right? Like I just, I don't have IBS. My brain doesn't even notice it. I don't feel any less comfortable. Someone with IBS, if they don't poop, their day is ruined. It's all they can think about because they feel every gram of stool sitting there that's just like, oh, why doesn't it come out? I just needed to come out. I'm so uncomfortable. I'm so bloated.
1: Do you guys remember speakers in the 90s? <laughs> People who were alive in the 90s? Because I realized that I'm getting old but they were huge, they were boxy, they're clunky, they're ugly. And that's how I kind of envision speakers when I think about them today, like having a multi-room sound system. But let me tell you about Sonos Move, which has revolutionized the speaker industry. So Sonos Move is a powerful and portable smart speaker for listening all around your home and beyond. The great thing about Sonos is it has a nice and sleek design, which you would be surprised by the depth and the magnitude of the sound that you get from speakers that aren't huge and ugly and clunky. Sonos connects to your Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, and you can stream music and more from all your favorite services. So whether that's Spotify or Netflix, it does it all. And it's great indoors and outdoors, even if you are somebody who lives in a place where there are elements like anywhere outside of LA. (laughs) It does great with sun, splashes, sand. It handles it all with ease. So if you are someone who is looking to build your multi-room sound system, or even just have one Sonos like I do now, but I'm going to upgrade and get more, you can mix and match with other Sonos speakers to create the ultimate immersive home theater or multi-room listening experience. So I don't know what you're waiting for. It is time to soundtrack your summer with Sonos. Discover Move plus other speakers and soundbars at sonos.com. Now let's get to the episode.
2: So with bloating, if someone has identified that their bloating maybe isn't normal and it is interfering with daily life functions, what are some treatments that they can do, whether it's like with the healthcare professional or at
0: home? Great question. So I wrote a book about bloating. It's called The Bloated Belly Whisperer, and, and it involves a quiz. And the reason I put this quiz in there is because if you're going to try to tackle bloating, whether on your own or whether a healthcare professional, you need to really at least narrow down the neighborhood where it's happening. Because some people experience bloating, whether it's a feeling of fullness or distension, due to problems in their stomach. And some people experience bloating, whether it's a feeling of fullness or, or actual visible dissension due to problems in their intestines. Those are different organs (laughs) and bloating that originates in your stomach, whether it's from acid related stuff or a slow empty, like a slow to empty stomach or hypersensitive nerves in the stomach, that is going to have a whole different set of dietary and medication regimens. Than people whose bloating originates in the bowel, the intestines, you know, like we all like read online, like, oh, there's the low FODMAP diet, like this diet where you take away all these like potentially gassy carbohydrates and foods that might help a lot. If your bloating is caused by too much gas in the intestines, it's going to do nothing for you. If your problem is that your stomach is really slow or you have too much stomach acid. And so understanding where your bloating originates is the absolute first step in figuring out how to tackle it.
1: And to understand that, do you need a medical test or is it just you kind of know Like for me, I know that when I experience bloating, it is more stomach related just because I feel it more in my stomach. Is that like good enough?
0: I mean, it can be. I mean, so a lot of my patients don't really know where their stomach is, right? So your stomach is actually very high up and a little bit to the left, kind of like right underneath your rib cage. And it's high, right? Your bowel, your intestine is sort of mid to lower abdomen. And so if you know for sure, like every time you experience bloating, it's kind of like right up here. Yeah. you, You know, your, your instincts are probably right. Or if it's associated with belching or nausea or sort of upper GI symptoms, that's a pretty good indication that your issue is probably stomach. If you've got lower abdominal cramping, you're farting a lot, you know? pretty, or having diarrhea or whatever constipation associated with it, pretty good indication that your bloating is, you know, something's going on in the intestine. And so it's like you necessarily need a doctor to tell you that. I mean, often if you kind of stop and think about geographically where on my body does it feel to be happening? And do I know if that, you know, looks like it's where my stomach is or my bowel is, and are there associated symptoms that would indicate to me that this is an upper or lower phenomenon? Many times you can figure that out on your own. And sometimes you can't, and then you might need an expert to help you weigh in.
1: Really quick follow-up. Is it possible to experience both?
0: Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So then what are some treatment
2: approaches for each of those? What would someone be able to do?
0: So for people who have bloating related to upper GI issues, whether it's sort of like a sour stomach acid dyspepsia or something we call functional dyspepsia, which is sort of like an IBS of the stomach rather than the bowel or whether your stomach is slow. Probably the number one intervention I do for that is what I call the GI gentle diet, which is sort of like softer, mushier foods that aren't too high in fat, eating small meals every three hours rather than fewer, larger meals. You're probably not someone who should be eating giant kale salads for lunch or fatty burgers, but sort of just like soups and smoothies and oatmeals and yogurts and like and cooked veggies and, you know, papaya and like nice, soft, mushy things, you know, small amounts frequently to allow the stomach to empty them expeditiously, to not stretch the stomachs with too much volume, to not require so much stomach acid to liquefy kale salad. I mean, in my practice, we're, we're very anti kale salad. It doesn't work for most of our patients. So like, it's always the example I use as, Oh, how did that feel? And so the GI gentle diet is something I will use a lot for my patients with more upper GI type of issues. And there are some supplements that are helpful for, you know, specific dysfunctions within, you know, the upper GI realm or over the counter meds, but the diet wise GI gentle is sort of where where I'm most likely to dabble. Whereas with lower GI problems, I would say the most popular interventions I do are something called soluble fiber therapy, where someone is sort of like more crampy, diarrhea prone. We're gonna kind of try to manipulate the type of fiber in their diet away from the roughagey, bulky, leafy greens, nuts, seeds, popcorn, berries, and more towards what we call soluble fiber, which is water soluble, the kind of fiber that absorbs water your oats, your squashes, your, you know, your melons, your mangoes, your papayas, your avocados, the type of fiber that isn't so bulky and stimulating and and big and voluminous. And it helps regulate bowel movements. And maybe we'll also do a soluble fiber supplement again, kind of allow the bowel movements to kind of form up a little bit and not be so shredded wheat, loosey goosey. And so we'll do that a lot for more diarrhea, crampy type of Loading, Whereas if people are really gassy, we might do a temporary diet called the low FODMAP diet for about two weeks where we take away the most commonly gassy fruits, vegetables, grains, et cetera, and see if the gas goes away and see if we can identify a certain category of foods or sugars that seem to really set you off. And so we might do that. So, you know, we kind of talk to a patient and see how they eat and see what they feel and when they feel it related to how they eat. And then we kind of land on an appropriate intervention. And there's other like weird stuff that we do that are, you know, less common. So we have a lot of therapeutic diets up our sleeves, but those I'd say are probably the three most common.
1: That's like the most helpful GI information I feel like I've ever heard in my life. So thanks for that. (laughs) Um, So specific. Speaking of specific. So I forgot, I actually do have functional dyspepsia and you mentioned like, yeah, I was like, mine's upper GI. Oh yeah, I got diagnosed. Anyway, what are, if you feel comfortable sharing, like what are some of the supplements, this is for my own selfish, like that you recommend to people?
0: Yeah, so there's two supplements that have some evidence basis for them to help with functional dyspepsia. So one of them is called Iberogast, which is a European like herbal tincture and you have to take kind of 20 drops in water three times a day before meals. A little bit easier to find in this country is a product called f guard and it's in a purple box and it's basically a combination of peppermint oil and caraway seed oil. And again, it's something you take, I think like 30, 45 minutes before eating. They work beautifully for some people. Some people are like, oh, I didn't really notice a difference. And so it's the kind of thing like. I tell people buy it once if it helps you. Awesome. If not, there are prescription medications that doctors can prescribe that are extremely helpful. But if you're lucky, some you know combination of diet change and one of those supplements can often make a really big difference. I
2: can't contain my excitement about this week's podcast sponsor, Nutribullet. Literally one of my favorite kitchen appliances that I have sworn by for years. For those of you not familiar, Nutribullet is the easy to use, easy to clean, affordable blender. They have sold over 60 million units worldwide. And if you've used one, it's easy to see why. I love how easy cleanup is with my Nutribullet. Literally at this point, I've purchased over four or five Nutribullets. I've had them in all of my apartments. I've gifted them to friends. Go to Nutribullet.com and use our promo code FoodHeaven for 20% off your order. I'm not lying when I say it's one of my favorite kitchen appliances. Their signature blending process transforms high fiber fruits, veggies, nuts, and seeds into a smooth and creamy smoothie that is easy to digest and absorb. Blending your smoothie at home makes it easy to customize ingredients, allowing you to add more veggies, fruits, or spices at a fraction of the cost. Y'all know how expensive those smoothies are when you go to these cafes. Go to Nutribullet.com and use our promo code FOODHEAVEN for 20% off your order. Again, that is Nutribullet.com promo code FOODHEAVEN for 20% off your order. This podcast episode is supported by one of our favorite multivitamin companies, Ritual. Did you know that over 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin was formulated with extensive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women ages 18 and above. It was formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. Ritual invested in a gold standard university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of their women 18 plus multivitamin, and the results were that their multivitamin was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. A published clinical study is a big deal and a serious commitment to a first-of-its-kind standard in the industry. They're committed to third-party testing and are always very transparent with their ingredients. I've been taking Ritual for years now and love that it doesn't have an icky aftertaste after taking it. Right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off your first three months. You can visit ritual.com forward slash food heaven and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com forward slash food heaven. All right, we are going to get back into the episode. So we spoke a little bit about this in our episode about constipation. How do you feel about pre and probiotics for bloating? Because it is a very popular, what many people think is a remedy for anything gastrointestinal. So what do you think?
0: So for bloating in particular, I would proceed with caution with prebiotics. So prebiotics are specific types of fiber that are very fermentable by specific types of bacteria in the gut. And these are the bacteria that we love that are super helpful that make really health promoting compounds called short chain fatty acids and butyrate. And so the idea is when you feed them their favorite food, which is prebiotic fiber, they they multiply and you get more of them and they make more of their magic-y stuff. And that's wonderful. It's objectively health promoting. The problem is, is highly fermentable fiber gets fermented. And when bacteria ferment fiber, they make gas. And so most prebiotics, not all, but most can be experienced as very gassy for people, which, you know, if you're someone who like isn't really bothered by gas, you may not notice it. But if you're someone with IBS, prebiotics can be very difficult to tolerate. And there's one in particular that is the mo- probably the most commonly marketed prebiotic. It's called inulin or chicory root, which is the gaseous substance known to man. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say that if you have already a lot of gas or you're someone with IBS, I would proceed with a lot of caution with prebiotics. They might make it worse, not better. You know, as far as probiotics, you know, I guess I'd kind of refer back to our earlier conversation, which is You know, probiotics are only going to help you if they're targeting the particular problem that's causing your bloating. If your bloating is in the stomach, a probiotic isn't going to do much because probiotics don't break down in the stomach. And so probably not going to do much for stomach-derived bloating. If your bloating is related to constipation and you happen to find a probiotic product that helps you with your constipation and gets you pooping better, it may be very helpful. Problem is we don't have a lot of good evidence on whether there are specific strains or probiotic products that are especially well suited to manage constipation. So a lot of that is a very kind of trial and error kind of effort. And so, you know, for these reasons, they're not a huge part of my bloating toolkit. Every once in a while, a patient will tell me like, oh, I tried this probiotic, this particular one. It was amazing. I feel so much better. And that's awesome. But I don't have enough Good data on probiotics to really recommend a specific one or ones across the board for my bloated patients. So they're not a huge part of my practice.
1: Yeah, that's helpful. We got a lot of people on Instagram who submitted questions for you specifically about bloating. So we're just going to kind of go through those maybe in a fire round. So you could just say like the first couple of sentences that come to mind or the first words. Some of these you already talked about, but I know that when people listen to podcasts, like they probably already forgot just because it's, unless people are writing it down. So the first one is foods to avoid that cause bloating. And the person said, I can't pinpoint what it is for me. So is there also a way for them to figure out what it is?
0: You know, oh, that's a big question. I would say that, I mean, if it's like bloating from like intestinal gas and flatulence, it's probably something you ate four to eight hours ago because that's about how long it takes for something to go from your mouth to the beginning of your colon where most of the gas is made. You know, there are certain things that are more common, right? For some people, right? Like beans and Brussels sprouts and, you know, low carb foods or diet foods or low calorie foods that use lots of like You know, added fiber like inulin or chicory root fiber can be incredibly bloating. Keto products or low carb products that use like sugar alcohols, like, you know, sorbitol or maltitol, like a lot of those low carb bars can be incredibly gassy and bloating. There is an eat a pint kind of ice cream, which I shall not name, which is like literally like, oh my God, bloating in a pint. It's like a pint of bloating.
1: (laughs) I hate that ice cream too. Yeah.
0: So, you know, these are some of the common culprits, but. You know, different strokes for different folks. It could really be anything. And so sometimes you need help from an expert to help you look at your food and symptom timeline to kind of pinpoint things.
2: Yeah. All right. Next question Should I be concerned that bloating could be caused by a medical issue?
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest one of concern, which I don't even want to say the C word out loud, but is the C word, right? Like, I mean, bloating can be a sign of ovarian cancer or colon cancer. And so, if you have a type of visible distension that doesn't go down, like this doesn't go up and down sort of over the course of the day, that's always kind of just there in its same degree of, you know, severity, you know, most people, with the digestive bloating will wake up somewhat flat or not bloated. And then depending on what they eat or when they eat or how much they eat, it might go up or down. If you have like a tumor or fluid accumulation because of cancer, it's not going to vary based on your pooping or based on your diet. And so That is probably one of the bigger concerns medically with bloating. And then the other stuff is typically more related to either constipation or sort of medically benign things like, you know, gassy carbohydrates or hypersensitive nerves, things that are very uncomfortable from a quality of life perspective, but sort of medically not scary.
1: Yeah, that's helpful. What is good to eat when you lose your appetite because of bloating?
0: I mean, I always tell people liquids go down easier than solids and cold liquids go down easier than sort of room temperature. So I always think like cold and liquid, I think Making a smoothie and freezing it into popsicles, like those always go down pretty easy, you know, kind of like sipping, nibbling, grazing rather than like trying to like eat yourself like a straight up meal can be really helpful. So I am one to use a lot of sort of liquid nutrition and frozen cold things when people really have no appetite. And that also goes for, you know, pregnant people and people who just don't have appetites for a variety of reasons.
2: Okay. Does kombucha help? What about seltzer water? I added in the seltzer water one.
0: I don't know that kombucha helps with much of anything. I mean, I don't, I haven't seen any studies on kombucha with digestive function. And so I don't know that it's going to help with anything. You know, seltzer is interesting. I think seltzer gets kind of a bad rap. Everyone's like, oh, you're bloated, avoid carbonated beverages. There's actually some studies that because seltzer can induce belching, many people find that seltzing can help with bloating because if you've got trapped air in the belly and you can't release it, you're going to feel bloated. You yeah. have a couple sips of seltzer, and it helps you belch. That might often give you relief.
1: Right. So I see with
0: seltzer and carbonation, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's always a bad thing. It might actually be helpful for some people.
1: That's groundbreaking. Yeah. Well, that's what I heard I it asked here first. Because- Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like when I'm bloated, I drink seltzer water, and like burping feels so good. It just feels like I'm like releasing gas. So, when mean- you're very
0: in tune with your body.
2: Okay, <laughs> thanks. I was <laughs> like, uh, it works for me.
1: <laughs> what about green powders? They asked Are green powders any good for preventing bloating? Nope. Okay. What about beans? <laughs> so they asked just like is is it like, matcha? Is yeah. it, what is it? <laughs> well, you know, like the marketing has everybody fooled. That's why there's so many green powder companies that try to advertise on this podcast and we're just like, nope. Okay, what about beans? How can somebody make beans more digestible?
0: Okay. So first and foremost, you know, some beans are a little bit less gassy than others. So like edamame boiled soybeans are probably the least gassy bean because they are the lowest carbohydrate. And so like about a half of a cup of edamame shouldn't be a problem for most people. Tofu, firm tofu shouldn't be a problem for most people. And then within like other beans, you know, lentils and chickpeas a little bit less than other beans, especially if you kind of, if you have like canned ones, for example, and you rinse them off those are a little bit less gassy than others. But then if you're like a bean person or you follow a plant-based diet and like beans are just a really big part of your diet, there are digestive enzymes. The active ingredient is called alpha-galactosidase. It's beano, it's beanzyme, it's in a lot of different products. And that helps break down the gassy fiber in beans that causes so much distress. And so use beanzyme liberally before your beans and it might help make them more tolerable.
1: Love it. Last question. I'm adding this one in there. What about if you feel having, especially later in the day, like a lot of liquids with your meal makes you feel more bloated? Like, is that a thing?
0: So it is a thing for some people. If you have, what we, I mentioned earlier called functional dyspepsia, where the nerves of your stomach are hypersensitive to stimuli, including distension and fullness putting more volume in your stomach, even if it's liquid volume, even if it's water, even if it's like broth, more liquid stretches the stomach. And if your nerves are hypersensitive to stimuli, that might feel really bad for you. Also, people who have a slow, a slow to empty stomach called gastroparesis will often experience a very similar thing, which is uncomfortable fullness when they have their liquids with meals. For similar reason, they just get too full too quickly. If that's the case, then you're someone who's going to have to stop drinking before you eat and then give yourself a good half hour to an hour after a meal before you start drinking again.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Now, where can people find you, your work, your books, your socials, how can they work with you? Give us all the deets.
0: So I work in New York City at a practice called New York Gastroenterology Associates. And I can see patients in I think like 23 states via telehealth. So if I'm licensed to practice in your state, I'm happy to work with you. But I also have two other GI trained dietitians who are phenomenal, who work with me. And my website is com, and my book is The Bloated Belly Whisperer. And I'm on Instagram at Bloated Belly Whisperer. I'm on Facebook at Bloated Belly Whisperer. And I'm on Twitter at Tamara Duker, T-A-M-A-R-A-D-U-K-E-R.
1: By the way, are you hiring? Because I want to work in your practice.
0: (laughs) You know, where were you like six months ago? I was desperate to hire and I couldn't get anybody to apply for the job. And I finally found somebody phenomenal. But I was like super duper recruiting and I was having the hardest time finding people. Yeah, it's hard. I know.
1: Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Food Heaven podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to connect with us online. We're most active on the gram at Food Heaven, but we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Food Heaven Show. If you like this podcast, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend.
2: Yep. Our podcast is released every Wednesday and each week we take a deep dive into topics like health at every size, food and culture, intuitive eating, mental health, and body acceptance. If you're looking for a sustainable and inclusive path to wellness, come hang out with us to learn how to take care of yourself from the inside out. We'll catch you next time. Bye.